where I exit. All right. Tomorrow, don't be late. Yeah, you can count on it. I'm serious. I know, I know. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. There you go. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. For the foreseeable future, we're going to be ranking action movies. After that, who knows? But we're hoping our listeners will get involved and help us decide. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. If you disagree... Join the discussion at Twitter at, at the Rank Podcast, on our website at therankwithjohnandzack.com, or email us at therankwithjohnandzach at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at the Rank Podcast. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. Anyway, enjoy the show. Well, I was, I was curious how you feel about the MCU. Currently, I guess not like the movies in particular, but just in the general scope of things. The current state of it is interesting because it's too freaking much. You know what I mean? I know I'm not the only one to think that either. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because like, I mean, I I think when the MCU was first starting out with everything, Uh I was like really excited. I thought it was such like a cool idea. And then now, and it left you le- it let it left you wanting more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh man! And I was like so pumped when they were going to start doing series and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think once you are creating that much m- more content, the likelihood that you won't have something great every time or even good every time um, goes up. You know what I mean? That's, that's for sure. And like you said, with wanting, you know, leaving you wanting more, you know, George Costanza used to say, you know, it always leaves people wanting more and they walk out of a business meeting right after saying something funny. Just right. good night, everyone. <laughs> um, that, uh, yeah, that they kind of stopped doing that. I'm like, I'm kind of done with, with things sometimes. And like, whereas it used to be like, oh, I can't wait for the next thing. Now it's a lot more like, I can wait. You know? It does kind of feel like that. I mean, I, I think the movies are still not as exciting as they were to, mm-hmm. to like the build up i mean but i think part of that i wonder is like is it because avengers endgame wrap, wrapped things up so effectively you know yeah you know i think that might be that might be absolutely it because like and so it, now you're like oh i have to get into all these new characters yeah and it's like it's like if you get to the really satisfying ending of the book and wait, why is there another chapter? And I get that it's a whole new thing, but like, you know, like you can't satisfy everyone like that and be like, all right, so next time it's like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. At the very least you have a break. I mean, I'm excited to see Ant-Man and the Wasp um, quantum mania. I think that looks neat. I'm, I'm skeptical, but that's just, I like Jonathan Majors. Um, I do too. I wasn't really sure about him at the end of Loki, though. I was the whole thing was very like I don't know, you know. It was, it was I was so like I, I'm not even confused. I was just so like really what like I was just so confused about exactly what was happening. And like, is this a good direction to go? I don't know. 
Well, I think we're going to get to see a m- much more expanded take on his character in the movie, which I think will be cool. That might be um, good because they introduced him like in the last 10 seconds. And then it's like, wait a second, I need time to get used to this guy, you know? <laughs> exactly. But I, I think he's like a really good actor. Yep. Um, and I, you know, we'll get into this, I think, but I, one of the things that I think the, that Marvel has done well is that they hire good actors and not necessarily big box office draws. Yeah, that is actually a good point because there are a whole bunch of these guys, of these actors in the, the shows that are like, they weren't necessarily huge stars until. Right. Until Marvel. Yeah. And I think some other, some other properties are trying to get big names and it's like, you should get the right person and then, then they will be a star because right. of the show. Well, it's like, it's like Quentin Tarantino said, you know, the stars are the characters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? I get a lot of crap for that. I didn't really understand why I'm like, well, he's got a point. You're going to see it because it's Spider-Man, not because it's Tom Holland playing Spider-Man. Yeah. I However, I think Tom Holland is a great Spider-Man. Yeah. So good job casting, but you know, I think it would be potentially a harder sell to go see a Spider-Man now that the, a Marvel Spider-Man now that isn't Tom Holland. But I think people would, it would still be a, probably a big hit, even if it wasn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I, I, I agree that like in some ways, the most important thing they ever did in the MCU is the casting. Um, there's just so many things that like, if it wasn't just the right note of performance, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't have worked anywhere near as well. Right. Yeah. And, I, uh, I agree. Possibly leads us directly into Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, you I, want to talk about pitch perfect casting? Sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no. I, yeah. Well, so let's, let's give uh, everybody the agenda real quick. Um, you know, just so everybody knows, in every episode, we give a brief summary of the movie uh, that we're going to be ranking today. And then we go into the potent notables, which are just notable things that we've found that happened during production or filming. Um, and uh, and then we go to an overview of the movie where we just kind of talk about how we felt about the movie from beginning to end. And then we do the big, the big one, the big, the big thing, the uh, the rank. That was very, very, uh, very good. I you have me excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Whenever anybody comes in and says it's a big thing, I go, "Wow, this, it sounds big." That's my wife feels that way every time I walk in the room and say that. She's like, oh, "I hope it's true this time." <laughs> One of these it's times usually not. Who thinks Viagra is topical? How uh, how uh, surprised she That's must be those times it is true. By the way. Yeah, exactly. Oh wait, what was that about? Wow. I was like, hey, I've been, been feeling big today. Um, <laughs> so today we're ranking Iron Man, which is the 2008 movie written by Mark Fergus, Hawk Ostby or Ostby, not sure. Art Markham and Matt Holloway, based on characters created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Don Heck, and Larry Lieber. It was directed by John Favreau and starred Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Bridges, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Robert Downey Jr. was in that? Yeah, shockingly. I got some interesting, quote, notables um, about his training that I think you're going to 
The first potent notable is, is my research department just said in the background, that's a stupid joke out loud. So <laughs> they're, not, they're not on board. <laughs> they're not on board with you, with you being surprised that Robert Downey Jr. is in it? I didn't realize that was him. I thought it was Tony Stark, right? I thought it was Tony Stark. Just, you know, he's a, he's a good actor, that guy. So, so far... We've ranked Aliens, Cliffhanger, Central Intelligence, Bloodsport, The Mummy, Predator, and Hero. And Aliens, even though it was the first one, somehow is still on top. I guess not somehow. It's a good movie. Um, which uh, Followed by Predator, Hero, The Mummy, Central Intelligence, Cliffhanger, and bringing up the rear end, Bloodsport. Oh, or Bloodsport. I'm curious if our listeners actually agree with the rankings so far. Um, it, would, it would be great to get feedback at some point. Yeah. Be like, you're dumb. That movie is really good, or that movie is really bad. Yeah. I'm hoping for a lot of you're dumb feedback. Me that too. would make me feel good about myself. It drives engagement. <laughs> I mean, I'll hold this what the algorithm's like. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, do, you know, do. Do you guys list? Do you guys or gals listening think that we should have been more or less favorable to any that we've ranked so far? Do you think that Aliens is just the best, and we won't be able to find a better action movie? Um, He's podcasting now. You found it. Yeah, exactly. Like I listened to the first one. I'm done. I already know. Uh, we've done pretty much most of the subgenres of action movies at this point. You know, yeah. we did cliffhanging action <laughs> alien action cliffhanging action um, yep exactly blood sporting action until centrally intelligent action yep exactly uh, i think that's oh, undead people action those are all the genres yep those are all the action genres however one thing we haven't done although some might argue after watching hero that Maybe we have already, but this is the first superhero genre. Oh, it's true that we that we've done. Actually, almost think. I wonder if starting with Iron Man was a bad idea, but uh, I mean, the good thing about this is that now we've got a sub, uh, you know, a sub list, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, not only are we ranking the best action movies, but just for you, our listeners. As we go through this, we'll also rank the best MCU movie. And there's lots of those. So I would say... I think there know, are more MCU movies than there are action movies, actually. So the, sub, the, the subcategory will be larger than the main category. You know, I guess what I'm curious about is, like, doing Iron Man first. Are we going to have another Aliens on our hand? <laughs> no, that's what you mean. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's probably a really good place to start. But, yeah, you know, actually... It's the first you... one. So Iron Man centers around the eccentric young billionaire, Tony Stark, and his progression from insouciant playboy to a little less insouciant superhero. (laughs) Tony goes to the Middle East to sell his new Jericho missiles, only to survive an ambush and become a hostage. This is his mind to build a way out of his captivity and has a realization that he can no longer have his business be in defense contracting. This leads to the development of his Iron Man suit and eventual conflict with his former friend and partner, Obadiah Stane. All right, on to our potent notables. So as always, I'm going to start with the box office. 
So on a budget of $140 million, which is the largest budgeted move, which is the largest budget of a movie we've ranked so far. That's surprising. I know. Iron Man grossed $319 million domestically and another $266.8 million internationally for a worldwide total of $585.8 million. So the success of this movie led to the juggernaut that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm going to actually start out from here with some of the business behind it. Because there's really some fascinating things here. Iron Man is Marvel Studios' first self-financed movie. This was this was a big deal because previously they had just licensed out their IP and let others make the movies. This time, though, they wanted to control their destiny, right? But Bad choice. There were plans for an Iron Man movie back in the 90s, actually. Several. Uh, one had Tom Cruise linked to it, but at different times, uh, Universal, Fox, and New Line all had the rights to Iron Man, but were never able to get anything into production. They'd been Marvel had been eking out um, like a subsist. So they Marvel declared bankruptcy in 1996, which you may or may not know. And they had been, yeah, okay. So kind of crazy to think that, right? So yeah, what they are now. Um, and they were basically eking out. Uh, th- their business was just kind of like surviving on these intellectual properties right they were just it was basically just the success of their licensing deals for x-men and spider-man but they didn't nearly reap the benefits that the studios that made them did right so they knew the only way it would work is if they produced one themselves so they went to merrill lynch and got a loan for 525 million dollars and here's the crazy part they put up for collateral essentially every ip that they still had dang yeah, including Ant-Man, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain America, and the Avengers. Okay. They used some of the money from, from the we, loan. We could have the Merrill Lynch Cinematic Universe. It turns Seriously, out. right? Isn't that wild? So they used some of the money from the loan to buy back Iron Man from New Line and went to work on creating what we now know, right? So basically, if Iron Man bombed, there just wouldn't be an MCU. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be a Marvel Productions. Mm-hmm. It would be the end. There would would there practically be a Marvel Comics? I think they, you know, might have been. I don't know how that would have worked because they sold their IPs, right? So, I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah, but yeah. I, so I mean, that being said having a universe of interconnected films was not the forefront on the minds of anyone at Marvel at the time this was released. Mm -hmm. They did have thoughts of it. They're like, boy, you know, like (laughs) the eternal optimist in them, right? They're like, well, if this works, then we could do this and then we could do that. Right. But, but really they were just like, God, this really needs to work. I mean, (laughs) uh, they were kind of putting everything into it. So Iron Man wasn't created to begin the MCU, even though it did. You wouldn't know that, though, because of the post credit scene, which was done by Favreau to give something to the comics fans. It, quote, was a bit of a lark. I wanted to include Easter eggs that the fans would appreciate, and we thought that the idea of a post credit scene could be fun. 
It was something that wasn't really in the script originally, but I thought the idea of Nick Fury being Sam Jackson would be really fun because when Nick Fury was reimagined in The Ultimates, which is a comic book, they recast him as Sam Jackson, and I thought that, that would be a really good nod to the audience. Pretty prescient. Uh, the post credit scene wasn't included in advanced screenings, including for critics. So they really did this just for the fans. Hmm. So the only people that, so the critics didn't see it, you know, um, basically people who got any of the advanced screenings, they didn't get to see it. But when it was out actually in theaters for like yeah, opening weekend, that's when people could see it. Hmm. Which I think is really kind of cool. If anybody bothered to stay since that wasn't really quite so it wasn't so, a thing then so because i didn't i i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember seeing it or not yeah i i i honestly completely i watched it this time i was like do i remember this i don't even know if i remember seeing this same and then but you then, know actually it does feel kind of tacked on when you think about it. because like i don't know it just feels very like it doesn't really follow from directly from the end because he just walks. It's like he walks into a room and there's there's Nick Fury. You know, it felt a little out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. Like, almost like it was filmed well after to me. It probably was. You know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Favreau said he just sort of tacked it on, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, John Favreau really should get a lot of credit for creating Marvel's universe here, which. Yeah. He clearly has because now he's like in charge of Star Wars and everything, you know. But um, what is it about the Star Wars stuff that anyone who gets famous doing another IP inevitably wants? Yeah, actually, what I wanted to do all the time was Star Wars. Well, I think it was formative for most people in their youth, right? The original trilogy. Well, I'm just, I just would like to have gotten a proper ending to Game of Thrones if we had not had. <laughs> deal with those two being too eager to go off and do Star Wars and then not getting it because they screwed up so much. But yeah, John Favreau says, so that whole MCU thing was nice, but I want to do the Mandalorian. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I want. Well, um, Favreau fought to have Robert Downey Jr. in the film. All right, Favreau. Oh, he... He's standing up for your, for your boys. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, so he he was convinced that um, the Robert Downey Jr. was like the perfect person. He was like, look, his personal life makes him perfect for this role because he's had to like go through all of the, you know, the ups and then the crazy downs in the public eye, you know, and then he had just come out with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mm -hmm. and Favreau was like convinced from that movie that he would be perfect for it. He just... He thought that Downey would be able to pull off being a likable asshole, basically. Agree, hundred percent with Favreau there. I, I actually love that movie. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually haven't ever seen it, so it would have been a really good one to pick. We'll do it uh, in a couple of weeks. Or yeah, more than that, if given. We'll do it eventually, listeners. Yeah. It'll happen. Kiss, kiss, yeah. bang, bang will happen. Um, but so you touched on a couple things here that are going to be in the potent notables, but let me just finish this one. Cause I think this is really fascinating. So he was pushing for him so hard that there are actually rumors that Favreau. So there was word leaked that Robert Downey Jr. was being considered for the lead role, right? Mm -hmm. The fans 
were in such agreement with it that it put pressure on the studio to actually hire him. And there's a there's a lot of rumors that Favreau actually leaked the word <laughs> that Downey was under under consideration. Who knew that he was so devious? <laughs> well, he really wanted him for that. It's it's some Nick Fury like behavior there, him him like manipulating oh, yeah. the media and everything like that to get what he wants. Um, <laughs> Doubling down on the likable asshole comment by Favreau. Downey described his role as, quote, a challenge of making a wealthy, establishmentarian, weapons manufacturing, hard-drinking, womanizing prick into a character who is likable and a hero. You mentioned Shane Black. Yeah. Well, guess what? Shane Black plays a little bit of a role in this. How about that? I think he and uh, Downey had become friendly at the very least, if not before, than during Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, because Shane Black also directs Iron Man 3, of course. Exactly. But Shane Black doesn't get any credit for this, but apparently Downey and Favreau were consulting with him throughout the filming, and he and he was doing uncredited script work. Jeez, just like we were talking about in Predator, he's brought on as a script doctor in that. I know. How about that? I thought that was really interesting. Um, especially since we Jane Black. Especially since we just talked it talked about him in Predator. I thought that was mm-hmm. cool. I wonder if he was like, you know what, that's fine. Don't put me in the credits, but uh you're gonna give me a stab at one of these Marvel movies. Yeah. And then it's one of the ones that nobody likes, but I don't really know why. I actually liked it, but I liked it too, as a matter of fact. I like all three Iron Man movies, and it's I odd that no one likes two or three. Well, obviously some people do because I mean it's yeah. got a it made a lot of money, and it's got a fairly decent rank. And um, then I, I personally consider um, Civil War to be actually Iron Man 4 in my, in my head. I know it's Captain America 3, but it's kind of Iron Man 4 in my Both. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is, yeah. I think I think uh, my research department calls it Avengers, you know, two and a half or something. So, <laughs> Which also is fair. Yeah. Okay, so what's interesting, too, about the script... Right. So we're talking about Shane Black kicking, you know, sprucing up the script and everything. But mm-hmm. apparently when they started filming, they didn't have a completed script, which Jeez. was much to Jeff Bridges's chagrin because he, he's the type of person that prides himself on his preparation. So he, he likes to yeah. come to set having already known all his lines. Yeah. Um, little, little, little did we realize that he actually started that movie as a hero. He was the he was the main good guy, and he got so angry during filming without a script that he improved well, his way into being the villain. Well, what's you know what's funny about that is that <laughs> he wasn't the main villain. Who was then? Because I'm the having Mandarin. trouble. Oh, really? Yeah. They changed. Did they change that eventually? Or yeah, I mean, they got rid of the Mandarin, which is why you see so many references to the Ten Rings. Yeah. Oh, haha. Aha, I'm going to have to give me a sec here. I'll I'll tell them later. But I, I <laughs> while we were watching while we were watching the movie for for this, I was like, wait a second. I I I overheard that one of the that the terrorist organization is the Ten Rings and I was like, you mean like the movie that just came out? That's I never noticed it before. Me neither until this time. Yeah, this time watching it, I'm like, holy shit, Ten Rings. I'm, we're going to talk about it in the overview because I definitely took notes about it. But mm-hmm. I was really like, oh, holy shit. Cause, and I just read, you know, I'd been doing the research on this. And I was like, oh, it's the, the Mandarin, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I was like, oh, wow. Okay, they really were going to do the Mandarin. But, but anyway, what gave Jeff Bridges, uh, what like helped him get through it was he, he made this like mental note in his head. He was like, okay, we're making a $200 million student film. <laughs> and that and that like calmed him and made it fun for him. Okay. Because <laughs> honestly, he seems to be enjoying himself in that movie. Everyone seems to be enjoying themselves. So yeah, I guess it ended I, up working out okay. Yeah, even uh, you know Clark Gregg who plays Phil Coulson, right? Yeah, I ca- I couldn't understand why they kept coming back to that minor character who doesn't go anywhere. I was well, like, why are we getting so much of this guy? He has nothing to do with anything. So. The character was only called Agent at first. <laughs> and he had a scene. But as they filmed, Clark's chemistry with the other cast was so apparent that they kept adding more and more scenes. Okay. So so uh, it turns out that a couple of uh, just a couple of minor things could have gone differently during the filming of this movie. Seriously. And I mean, um, you know, the Mandarin was sort of a, a racist caricature anyway in the, in the comics. So yeah. Favreau was like, I'm. He basically was like, I'm having trouble with this. I don't mm-hmm. think this makes sense. Let's just get rid of it. Because originally his plan was to have Jeff Bridges' character be like a confidant to Tony Stark mm-hmm. for the entire film, and then he was going to turn bad for Iron Man too and be the the bad guy Ironmonger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just was like, I just it was just fascinating. I couldn't. I just didn't realize so much when, uh, about this. What were you going to say? No, I, was, uh, I, I, I didn't know any of this at all. And I thought that I had couple, heard a couple of things. But if I'm Merrill Lynch during the, ma- the production of this movie, I'm thinking, yes, yes. Yeah, Chaos we're about to make that. We're about to money. all of the IP. Yeah, it's all ours now. They're going to default on their loan and everything. But no, no, no. Favreau, I guess, got it all together. Well, yeah, I mean, Favreau was like, he said, like, they came into it, uh, essentially, they just had a, an outline. Mm-hmm. Most of the dialogue is ad-libbed. <laughs> well. <laughs> Which is crazy. And Favreau said, yeah, I felt like this made the movie feel more natural. Well, you know, we'll probably talk about it, given that it's part of the ranking thing, but the movie feels very coherent to me. So, like, it feels, it feels polished. So that's a little strange. It's amazing, isn't it? That's I, knowing that and then watching it, 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 I was just like, holy shit! How is this possible that they yeah. didn't have a fucking script and they made I mean, this? Yeah, because there are movies where it's like this is good, but at the same time, I can see, I can see them sort of flying by the seat of their pants. But not that that is not a flying by the seat of the pants movie. I know, I know. Um, well, it is a flying by the seat of your iron pants, I guess, movie. It is a lot of flying. <laughs> well, so the the speaking of ad libs, you know, when Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man at the end mm-hmm. of the movie, mm-hmm. that was an ad lib. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, I had known that one because I was told. My, uh, my research, research department. department finally did some research and <laughs> came, came armed with that one. Well, I was like, because that, that seems pretty like it was supposed to happen to me. So again, making it all look easy, even though apparently they didn't know what was happening. Yeah, it's 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 sort of unbelievable because it changes 
an entire franchise. Mm-hmm. That's why. So Kevin Feige, who became the producer, who became like the head of Marvel, um, mm-hmm. right right before this production started, um, he approved using it in the final cut. And he credits this with his decision to mostly do away with secret identities identities in the MCU. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because of how little a part having a secret identity matters in the MCU, except obviously in Spider-Man, which comes to home to roost in the most recent Spider-Man. But aside from that one, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's pretty cool because that's been, like, this, the generic superhero movie is always... Secret identity. Oh, they might find out my secret identity. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. You know, that's like how it goes. And and Robert Downey Jr. was just kind of like, eh, I feel like doing this. And then <laughs> it changed the entire scope of what we were used to. So two, like, two, like, at least two of many uh, kind of irrelevant, not irrelevant, but fly by the seat of the pants kind of decisions. And uh, we have no secret identities, and we have, you know, an entire interconnected cinematic universe. Exactly. Which would not necessarily have been the case. And and that ad-lib that he does at the end be, sort of begins the crazy Marvel secrecy, right? Mm-hmm. Because to avoid any, of, any spoilers about that ending, the final press conference, or the, the extras at the final press conference were all told it was a dream sequence. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so that they wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, it's just—it's so fascinating. And nowadays, um, they do things like filming like nine endings to things, just so nobody knows. And and Downey, you know, to get ready for the role, he spent five days a week weight weight training, and he practiced martial arts to get into shape for the role. With guess who? I can't even. Frank Dukes. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Hold on. You are joking. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was that was going to be too goddamn much. Yeah. No. The idea for weight training was supplied by John Long. Exactly. Well, I was going to say that John Long actually fed me that joke. So. Oh, I see. It was his idea. <laughs> yeah. What if rock climbed in order to get into shape? Right. And did martial arts up there with Frank? Did martial arts up there with Frank Dukes. So did he actually? Was he actually trained by anyone, or is that just completely? No. Yeah. He he really did do five days a week of weight training and practice martial arts to get into shape for the role. Okay. Everything after I said that is just bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Oh, so to go back to the, the Mandarin, I, the Mandarin was supposed to be the villain, as I was saying, for Iron Man. But he was actually in every variation of the script until about 10 weeks before we started filming. Kevin Feige. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Feige. All right, so another fun little factoid about the actors in this. Paul Bettany, who is the voice of Jarvis and later becomes Vision, has apparently never seen the movie. Any reason? He's, he doesn't like listening to himself? <laughs> so he doesn't give a reason for it. But this is what he said. He said it was the easiest job he has ever had because he worked for two hours, got paid a bunch, and then went on a vacation with his, with his wife. Who, by the way, do you know who his wife is? I think I knew at one point, and I don't know. 
Jennifer Connelly. I did know that. Lucky um, dude. Why did I know that? They were in something together, and I don't know what now. It doesn't matter. I'm sure that's how they met, but I was... How did I know that? Oh, no, oh because... for me. Go ahead. I don't know if they met on it, but they were both in um, A Beautiful Mind. Oh, that's right. He was Maybe the imaginary one, and he yeah. was... I shouldn't give away the ending to A Beautiful Mind. We might do that next week. Yeah, we might do that next week. Yeah. A dangerous mind. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Paul Bettany's role as Jarvis, they actually made Jarvis an AI specifically to differentiate him from Alfred, the butler. Oh, yeah. From <laughs> was, he, yeah. Was, he a, uh, was he a person in the comics or anything like that? I, I think he was. I mean, it, that was the impression oh, yeah. I got when I was reading it. But Yeah, uh, I don't know either. Here's a, a little movie-making detail. Maybe this would be better for the overview, but I just I find this kind of stuff so fascinating and fun when filmmakers do this. Because I don't know that anybody is like really going to pick up on this unless they're really paying close attention and they just happen to know uh, about this particular subject. But Obadiah is playing the piano when Tony comes when he when he comes to meet Tony after talking to the board, right? And he brings pizza from New York. Mm -hmm. Well, he's playing a piece composed by Antonio Salieri, which I don't know if you know, but Salieri. Uh, I know he's the uh, bad guy composer in Amadeus. Exactly. Salieri was a colleague of Mozart, but was considered the inferior composer and has always been portrayed as the jealous rival of Mozart. Mm -hmm. So that's why they had Obadiah playing Salieri because he's the jealous rival of Tony. Very nice. I know that's I see, silly. I but it's, it there. it's cool, that's right? It's cool. Um, and then, like, you think about it being an ad-lib movie, and I'm just like, huh, that's amazing. It certainly seems like they thought about it. So we've got another Predator reference. Okay. Or connection. So first was Shane Black. Now we've got Stan Winston. Oh yeah, it was he was uh, I don't know what he was. <laughs> See, well, I, I assume he designed the suit or something. Right, he helped design the suit and some of the special effects and stuff. But yeah, this was actually the last film he worked on before his death. Oh, yeah. That's sad. Well, I gotta say this: the the design work on the suit is potentially iconic. To, if he came up with like the the face and everything, I, I don't. I didn't get too far into it, if I'm being honest. But uh, just thought that was kind of interesting because we had just done stan winston so it's like oh that's stan winston again you know there's probably a reason that they had to do so much ad-libbing on this movie mm -hmm. apparently marvel met with 30 different writers who all passed on the film because they either didn't know the character because they thought it was like a robot mm -hmm. or <laughs> didn't trust you know the fledgling marvel studios because they weren't a studios right yeah and uh they weren't a studio, I should say, or both. They just didn't know them. They also didn't trust Marvel. I just thought that like 30 writers were like, nah, I'm not doing this. Not for who you gets, guys. Who gets the last laugh now, huh? <laughs> not those guys, unless they're also doing good things. Well, I would guess that some of them are probably like, I really wish I had written Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, with the way these things go, maybe that person does a shitty job in the movie. Well, that's so. what I was, yeah. 
sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just, no. I, I thought the same thing and I completely agree with you. So uh, in the comics, Tony Stark becomes Iron Man in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And then later in the comics, this gets changed to the Gulf War. But for the movie, Favreau chose Afghanistan because he didn't want to make a period piece. But he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to give it a contemporary look and feel. Mm-hmm. I think he made the right choice, personally. I think so, too. That works really well. And um, I don't know, the, the fact that it's not really an enemy combatant so much as a bunch of terrorists works really well for me. Yeah, no, I yeah, I agree with you. I'm I uh, I think it works a lot better than having the villain be in that space. You know? mm-hmm. It's more like a sub-villain. And the last potent notable is, that I'll that I'll give is uh, you know, there's some drama with Terrence Howard in this film. And, mm-hmm. You know, I guess it, I think it's worth pointing out, right? Because Don Cheadle ends up taking his role in Iron Man too, and then every movie that war machine slash colonel Rhodes is in in the mm-hmm. mcu um so terrence howard was actually the highest paid actor in the movie really yeah but that's the last money he'd get from marvel yeah well he was the highest paid one because they marvel felt like downey was you know kind of a too, too risky a risky yeah a risky bet right so you know they brought in uh, somebody that they thought might be able to help carry the movie a little bit um and he claimed that he had signed a three-picture deal but that the studio reneged and that's Mm -hmm. why he wasn't in favreau said this is where things get kind of dicey he recast he recast him because he didn't like his performance which apparently required reshoots like apparently significant reshoots mm-hmm. now eventually howard came out and said that he declined continuing in the role because he was offered a much lower salary to accommodate downey's significant increase um who knows what's really true here but uh marvel has never officially commented on the disagreement i uh i think i saw a uh a little news story about them recasting him because he wouldn't stop high kicking <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say exactly what happened, but given oh, his propensity, nice, nice slow burn on that one. I did, I, was, I did not see that one coming. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, you know, I don't know if you know much about Terrence Howard. Turns out that he is kind of crazy, <laughs> in kind of a uh, an odd. Like I'm sure he's crazy in a more normal way too. But the crazy way that I'm talking about is that he's got uh, a whole like system of math that he's invented and I use invented quite, quite liberally. Um, he, for instance, what is it? it? I wish I could remember exactly what it, what his, his math proof is here. Um, he formulated his own language of logic, which he calls Terryology because his name's Terry. Um, <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I almost just did a spit take on that one. I should I should not be drinking while you're talking about this about Terrence Howard. This yeah. is from Wikipedia, by the way. So I don't know. I guess maybe it's not true, but it's also not just like I didn't get it from you know Crackpot.net or some shit. But he uh, he claims that one times one has to equal two, and that there's no way that one times one can possibly equal one. 
and he's got like this is the basis of his of his entire mathematical system and it turns out that all he really did was invert the mobius strip and he figured it out <laughs> and he's got this big long like and by long i don't mean long but this big ridiculous proof about how one times one has to equal two and like if you read his reasoning behind it you will you'll lose your mind i think it'll it'll make sense by the end of it because he's driven you crazy so <laughs> so i don't i'm not saying that has anything to do with his getting fired from this movie but it, he's he i don't know he's off some deep end i don't know which end exactly that is an hilarious potent notable thank you <laughs> you're very welcome <laughs> yeah, um, i'm not even i'm not even going to try to read his his reason on it. I value what little sanity I have left too much. Well, I guess after that wonderful what was it called? Terryology. That, that wonderful terryology uh, yeah. information. I think we can move right into the movie now. Oh yeah, please. Um, so I, the first thing I, I will say, I forgot that it started with Back in Black, which is like such a cool song to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really tickled me because Lyndon has gotten super into ACDC to the point where he'll like go around the house and go TNT and dynamite. <laughs> Just like every four year old does. How old is he? He's four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a very popular band. I know it's, it's like Grover from Sesame street and then ACDC, I think is the next the next big celebrity among four-year-olds um especially especially tnt it seems an odd an odd choice because maybe he heard back in black in like one of these movies or something but no it's it's a slightly lesser known song well the opening scene here i i think is just a lot of fun um you know i, I think the hay forest is, yeah. is a really it's a really good line um I also enjoyed that she was like, no, I'm an airman, mm-hmm. which I know sounds silly, but I don't know that a lot of people really pay much attention to the fact that there's really different services, mm-hmm. you know, they're called different things. I sort of wondered watching it. I'm like, I wonder if all this sort of sexist stuff would work 15 years later. Yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, would Tony work as a character as well, given just everything about him we would we accept him as like a fun lovable playboy or would we be like i don't know or even just this facet of his character like i wonder Mm -hmm. if they would have to like kind of steer that back because i i just can't it's sort of like the guy you know asks well like oh didn't i hear you went 12 for 12 with the maxim cover girls and then the woman and that's driving is like oh that's funny Mm -hmm. you know it's just very clearly a movie that's made by men yeah right because i don't know that there's a lot of women out there that are like that's so funny that you slept with 12 women (laughs) you know um the one thing i will ask is if that sort of if it's in the military maybe it's it's a little bit more yeah maybe sort of going with the flow on a comment like that given that it's not exactly the kind of you know i don't want to say enlightened but it's not the kind of situation where you can be like hey that's not a nice thing to say Right. And and uh, my point being is that Tony is perhaps playing to the room there a little bit, you know? He might be he might be playing to the room. He also I think you know, I think they're showing that he is not the most likable person yet. 
too. Mm-hmm. Like there's some growth that still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So the you know then the, the the Humvee gets attacked and everything. But what I thought it was interesting. I, I, well, do you have anything more that you wanted to add about that scene? Because I was going to cut to the to the next. Uh, no, I was um, pleasantly surprised at how funny it was. Not that I not that I didn't think it was, but even you know thinking back, I was going, you know, these jokes are actually even a little bit sharper than I remember them being. Yeah. Well, you know, part of it might be the delivery and everything, frankly. Well, we'll Daniel Downey Jr. is just so good at that kind of repartee, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, it's like it's like the hallmark of the MCU in a lot of ways, right? That kind of back and forth with people. Yeah, and, it's like and, Aaron Sorkin writing, except it's all ad lib. Exactly, and um, people complain a little bit now. Well, where they'll be like, oh, you know, the movies are all nothing but, you know, those witty comments back and forth and everything like that. And part of my problem is that it just doesn't work quite as well without that character and that actor. Because, like, he really anchored it all in a way that worked a lot better. And it's like not every actor can just be as fun as that while using that kind of humor. Yeah. Because some of it's a little eye rolling when it's not when it's not the right the right chemistry between the actors. I also think it has a lot to do with the filmmaker. Seems a very easy line to fall just on the other side of. Exactly. I feel like I feel like that could definitely happen with a lot of Tony Stark dialogue, a lot of Tony Stark bits and ideas, and uh, Downey Jr. If nothing else is able to keep it all on the, I I still like this guy. Not this guy's actually just really grating on me. Yeah, but I also think that has a lot to do with, you know, Favreau sort of knowing what he wanted out of it, too. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's actually interesting because um, I imagine it was kind of a similar sort of filmmaking process when he did Elf, which was really the only other movie he had directed at that point. Right. Well, that and Zathura. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> yeah, but... Um, <laughs> I uh, forgot about that one. Let's uh, stick with uh, stick with Elf, though. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, I don't know if I don't know if there was much ad libbing on the set of Elf, but I can imagine there may have been with, with Will, Will Ferrell being the main yeah. the main actor. So, like, if you get a sense, if you get a uh, if you become adept at handling that sort of, this is really funny, but also let's maybe refocus. That could come in handy when you're working on a movie with no script, but somehow still seems very like very it tight. had a script. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, okay. So I, yeah, I, I think elf is sort of a perfect example actually, because I think that there was a lot of that, although that did have a script and it had like mm-hmm. a sort of a well thought out script. So, yeah. um, but anyway, so then we get to the, uh, we get to the apogee award that he's supposed to be getting and he just yeah. <laughs> just isn't there. What a dick. I feel yeah. such a dick move. Um well even better is just him caring so little about the damn award that he gives it away to I know. The fake Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> With the very funny uh render on the Caesar line. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good line. Um and you know, there's definitely a lot of like the womanizing type stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, again, I kept wondering, I'm like, cause I, so when I was younger, I really enjoyed it. Right. But I, 
and I, I still enjoyed it now, but I kept having this feeling of like, would this work now? Yeah. You know, maybe it would. I think it might because it's, it is presented at the beginning of the movie as behavior, which should change. Right. You know, like you said, it, it's not like this is, I mean, if it was him doing that a hundred percent throughout the entire thing, it might be like, all right, what's up with that? But I mean, this is like the, pro, I don't want to say this is the, 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 the more, I can't, I can't think what I mean, but you know, it's the, it's the behavior that needs to be addressed in order for him to become a hero. Right. It's the immaturity. Mm-hmm. With the immature part of him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like he, it keeps showing him being like this kind of sexist, you know, I don't know, prick, right? Um, mm-hmm. To quote Robert Downey Jr. Um, but like when Favreau playing Happy Hogan is like, no, oh, she's cute. Mm-hmm. And so he like, like won't turn around unless she's cute. Yeah, unless, <laughs> unless he says that. That's another great touch. Yeah. Um, I also, so I enjoyed all of that. The only thing I didn't think was very good is that I just feel like it seems kind of unrealistic that, you know, this woman who is like clearly got an ax to grind with him. All he has to say is I'm prepared to lose. I'm prepared to lose a few with you. And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, let's fuck. Yeah. That actually struck me as a little strange because like it, it, it kind of reeks a little bit of like, just keep being, like a pig and she'll like it eventually, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And eventually she'll be like, Oh, I guess you wore me down. I, I, in my memory, I could swear that she like then, you know, used her access to him in order to, um, you know, get information or something, but I don't, I didn't notice her actually doing that. So I thought that that was the direction they were going to go into where like she was, she was actually like, all right, I'll sleep with him, but then I'll sneak around its house and steal files or some shit. But, well, happen. she does sort of get better access to him because of that. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, she's sure. the one who yeah. shows him the pictures and then makes him feel uncomfortable at the press conference at the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's true. I mean, I think it's funny when she shows up at the party. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. like, you're not going to tell me anything. He's like, I think I'm panic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was pretty good. Um, sort of continue down this path of, um, Again, things that I don't know would fit the theme of a movie in the 2020s, um, where they show Pepper Potts and the reporter there kind of being really catty. It's yeah. like clearly in competition over a man, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> like with the take out the trash comment. Exactly. Yeah. Which is funny, but again, you know. It was funny, and I remember thinking it was funny when I saw it, but I'm like, is she trash? I mean, she's a journalist, you know? Like, yeah, and she's not trash because, like, does her having slept with him automatically make her trash? Cause that's right. Not, that's right, not and nice. I think that's the point that they're making, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, kind of, it's kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. So then they show Tony working on, like, the car, right? Which, by the way, that was Favreau's actual car. Oh yeah, I mean that that he drives around, <laughs> but he owned that car. So I can't believe it. he trusted Tony to work on it. I know. Um, <laughs> we all know Tony is not the most reliable person, and John Favreau needed to get home from the studio. You know. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and again, it's like the whole like how'd she take it thing. It's like mm-hmm. better than yeah. They have that that first scene with him and Pepper, and you can see that there's some underlying you know romantic tension between them. Oh. Um, I was I was just struck by how young Robert Downey Jr. looked. I know, like, and, man. and and it's funny because obviously it's the time has passed and everything like that. But part of it is because we've seen him as that character every couple of years for, you know, a decade. And so he didn't notice him getting older. And then you go back and you're like, okay, so (laughs) he looks quite a bit younger. It's not, it's not just turning on a movie from the seventies and Al Pacino is younger or something. Although that's, and, and they hadn't even digitally de-aged him yet. Right. Well, they did in that that clip that they showed mm-hmm. for the. And actually, Apogee do you happen award. to know if? Yeah, I was gonna say with the Apogee Award ones, were were a lot of those actual pictures of him as a kid? Like they found yeah. pictures of from the Downey Jr. household. They probably are. From I mean, that's some, usually how they do stuff like that. But I don't Mother Downey know Jr. For sure. From Mother well, Downey I, Jr. I uh, I well I was thinking during that scene, you know, I wonder if this character resonated with him at all, given the contentious relationship with the difficult father who was successful. And uh, Downey has said that you know it was his father who gave him cocaine or something when he was eleven or something like that. So oh wow, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he just came out with a documentary about his dad. Oh really? Well, yeah. maybe he's working through things. It's called Senior. Quite like uh, quite like Tony works through issues with. Howard Stark in Iron Man 2. Right. In his magic hologram thing. As, as, uh, and, uh, it was a surprise to me that they cast, um, cast Roger Sterling. (laughs) Um, the actor is John Slattery, but it was funny. Well, I, you know, we should talk about it because we're talking about Iron Man 1. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's hard not to talk about the other Iron Man. I I just, you know, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> the Iron Man movies. It's hard not uh-huh. to talk about the other Iron Man movies and other MCU movies, for that matter. I just, you know, watching it again, it made me like long for that feeling that like when the MCU movies were coming, like how exciting it was yeah. that they were all interconnected, and like, you didn't, you were just, you would like watch those those post credit scenes and be like, holy shit, are they doing that? That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the case for me too because I remember going to see the Incredible Hulk, which I remember liking. All right, I know people don't care for it these days. I remember liking it with you yeah, talking with Edward Norton. Yeah, and I, at the end, it was like so kind of insane that Robert Downey Jr. showed up in the end credit scene. I know, that. and I was like, wow, he's because he's from the other movie, you know? Yeah, so. they've never done any. No, nobody had ever done anything like that. It was so yeah. cool. Um. So yeah, I, I it made me long for that feeling again. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so then uh, he makes uh, Colonel Rhodes wait really a long time, which just mm-hmm. shows again that he's a dick. Um, and uh, but what they did show in that scene with Colonel Rhodes was how good of a salesman Downey Jr. or Tony Stark is. Mm-hmm. Right, because he's like he starts out like I'm not drinking, I'm not doing this, and then all of a sudden he's drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if those um, if those flight attendants are employed specifically by him to be strippers, also. But I know that again, again we get into that. Like, yeah, 
I thought so. Then they show you know he's a good salesman, and uh, and then you know he goes to the desert, and then they show again that he's a you know cocky good salesman, mm-hmm. right? But I did think it was a really cool visual when they had the Jericho missile explode, and then oh, the shock wave comes out, and that like actually pushes him forward a step. Mm-hmm. That was a cool visual. It's an awesome visual. And he knew it, you know. He's setting it up to look like that. Right, right. Um, Let me see it right here, and it'll look so cool. (laughs) Like, you need to sell the army or whoever on Big Missile. Yeah. Look, I made this Big Missile. Okay, we'll buy it. No, no, let me show you what it... No, it's okay. We buy it. We're going to buy it. I really want to show you, though. (laughs) Um, You know, he gets captured, right? And he's in the cave. And so I... I, Sort of what fascinated me about the cave is... So they're showing it as being really cold, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He's, you know, you see his breath and everything. Well, that actually was because they they built that set and then started they built an AC system into it and made it like really cold. <laughs> and they they did that because they were like, oh, well, we figured out that you know, these caves out there would actually be really cold. So yeah, so all right, well, attention to detail, I guess. Yeah, some cool realism for an ad lib movie. <laughs> um, and then you know they. They bring him outside, which I thought, again, kind of a cool attention to detail that, like, he's carrying the car battery, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, obviously, it would be a really stupid thing if they didn't do that. But yeah. I could have seen, an, like, a worse movie just sort of forget that aspect of it, you know? Yeah, that he has to bring it with him when he goes someplace. <laughs> right, <fun>. exactly. Well. <laughs> but I was sort of... The attention to detail that I was noticing here is that the camouflage on the, like that's covering the weapons and everything is actually like really good. Like you, it, the, it looks like it blends right into the mountains, which is exactly what they would be trying to do. And it shows why they wouldn't have been found. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought that was a cool detail. That's not something I thought of because that's not an area I am aware of, but it's nice. It's nice to know that they did, that they cared, you know, it's, it's obviously the sort of movie where they paid enough attention that, I mean, it, there's a, it, 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 it does have a sense of, of, of realism. And I think that that comes through in little details like that, whether you notice them or not. Right. Yeah. It helps, it helps like make you feel like this, this could really be happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I have a little mummy thing that I, I noticed. So he's there, right? He's seeing all his weapons there. And then he kind of scans the horizon a little bit and he sees the kind of the leader up on the hill, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And all I kept thinking was like, this is how they should have done that scene in The Mummy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good Instead point, actually. Having him be like, should we kill him? No. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they could just have him be like, oh, there's kind of a menacing guy up there. He's clearly the leader. Well, there's a good um, example of how, and this is not to denigrate the mummy at all, but like sometimes your movie will feel much tighter if you if you manage to not have little things or little, or figure out how to address little things or deal with little things. And it doesn't take the viewer out of it to go, why was that there? Right. Exactly. So just the fact that they managed to do that makes makes a movie feel a lot more coherent. I guess we'll talk about that later. Yeah. 
Well, and I think we talked about the, uh, there's another movie that we talk about that probably with aliens, mm-hmm. how, you know, really good filmmakers can bring you into the movie without forcing you to listen to what's yeah. happening, you know, mm-hmm. show without know. exactly. That's a perfect way to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, so then soon after that, um, we hear the reference to the Ten Rings, mm-hmm. which I was like, yeah. "Oh shit!" They said the Ten Rings. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to even figure out if it was if it was related <laughs> or if it was like a throwaway line or something. They changed. Turns out it's something they changed somewhat because right. it's not like not like they were going, "Ooh, this will tie into a movie in 2020." I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so interesting that they that they adjusted it and then they, and mm-hmm. then just like didn't come back to it until Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind because- of do. With yeah. the fake Mandarin, but you know it's not the same thing. You know about being in this cave, right? So they're showing. I was thinking about it. and I'm like, well, there hasn't been that much action, right? There's there's been a couple scenes, but not much action. And now we're just showing Tony in the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they do a really good job of showing his plight, um, you know, and his ability to connect with people. Yeah, with, with his cellmate there. Um, and his burgeoning heroism and his genius, right? They're, so they're mm-hmm. showing all the different facets of his character and, and the good that he's capable of. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a really well done sequence in the cave. And considering that it takes up a pretty significant amount of time, it's 22 minutes that he's in mm-hmm. that cave. So. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, uh, it doesn't just, it builds character and tension and, um, interest i suppose it sort of helps build the world somewhat um and something that i was thinking during this i think is how much time it shows him working on these things which makes sense it's the origin story etc right they always sh- they always show batman making his armor for the first time right but i was thinking you know later i feel like they kept trying to one-up their own tony suits up scenes you know what yes. I mean? and like it never 100 percent felt earned to me because it was just like off screen, Tony made improvements, and that's all we're supposed to know. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, wow, it's I get I get that you can't just be like every little every little update that he does you can show. But I did appreciate in this movie us actually seeing him get there. It yeah. feels really satisfying when he puts it on. You know what I mean? Because we've seen what went into it. Right. And, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's more complimenting the, the way they do it here than than making fun of anything else. But it it, it felt earned and a lot of that cave scene was about like earning the, the escape. It's not just an escape. He, we saw what went into making this escape possible. Right. Right. It, right. Yeah, I agree. It's the, it's the plight that he's in. Like the, he has to get there and he has to figure out a way to hide it from, I mean, it's, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think that it was funny though, that like they want him to build the Jericho missile. And then the guy, the, the main bad guy is like, you know, um, the bow and arrow was like the pinnacle of of weapon technology, and that's mm-hmm. how what they used, what the Mongols used used to rule the world. And now I'm gonna have this, and I'm just like, do you know what nukes are? <laughs> also, you're gonna have one missile. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess maybe his buddy, his guys are gonna figure it out from the from uh, the prototype i don't know that's what i was wondering like is the plan that you're going to like reverse engineer this thing because otherwise you have one missile you shoot it and you don't that's it you're done Mm -hmm. so yeah 
I just and I know that Tony said you only need to shoot it once, but I think that's on the assumption that you have more. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they don't just go up. Oh, well, he's done. I guess we'll just go get him now. <laughs> he used his one ammo. I also thought it was kind of funny that like it was like you, you know when so the door blows up right so then of course the main bad guy is like go get him mm-hmm. right this is after he's getting the suit on and I'm like what do you think they would have put themselves closer to where yeah. he was a long run to get there yeah <laughs> um I, but the reveal of the suit is pretty damn cool. It's uh, very cool. In some ways, that's my favorite suit just because it's, I mentioned this while we were watching it, it's like, it because of its limited firepower, it's very melee-based. So it has a very satisfying smack the guy, and he goes flying kind yeah, of feel. I love exactly, it. Exactly. Oh, and, and, Ooh, and the fact so that it actually cool. has to be solid enough to to protect him from bullets. Yeah. You know? Like the fact that it's, it's, all right, this is just a hunk of metal I put on myself in some ways. <laughs> and now it's protecting me from machine gun fire. Very, very satisfying. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it works on so many levels. I did. So it's funny because we talked about in The Mummy that there were a lot of slapstick moments. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't a lot in this. Yeah. But there was one, and I actually felt like it worked. It was mm-hmm. when the guy stops and he, he's like stuck in the rock wall, right? Yeah. And he goes up to try to shoot him in the head. <laughs> Ricochets <laughs> kills him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that worked too. I laughed out loud, and I don't usually laugh at stuff like that. <laughs> but part of the reason it worked is because it was unexpected and they don't overplay it. Right, exactly. So it is like, oh my gosh. And then, <laughs> and then it moves on and doesn't try to play that joke over and over again or anything. Exactly. I, you're, you, that's actually a really good point. I think it works so well because they didn't try to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that Taika should probably do. <laughs> of. Um, well, also that a couple of points in the Mummy where, um, you know, just they could have they could have cut the last instance of the joke and it would have been stronger. Right. Like, for instance, pulling your gun the third time. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I know the rule of three is like a big thing in comedy, but like honestly, you need you need to just let it happen once basically sometimes yeah yeah and then you go straight pretty soon after that you go to the emotional moment between jensen and stark Mm -hmm. and it is shockingly effective it is you Uh, know i don't know who that actor is but it's a pretty pretty decent performance and it again is sort of a very earned emotional goodbye for a character who's only in it for probably 20 minutes since you said that that scene is 20 minutes essentially right no, you're right. I, I completely, um, I completely agree. I, <clears throat> I, I was, I just, when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that was really quite good. Mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't think about Iron Man as being something that would cause an emotional reaction, but, um, you know, it, it did. So good on it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, then him telling Tony not to waste it, very, very, very. Oh meaningful. yeah. And that's Rem- that's a really good impetus to change because a character can be like, bad things happened to me in the cave, and now I'm changed. But this this sort of shows the 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 real reason, the real thing he comes back to in his own mind when he's trying to actually make tangible changes. Right. I would say the. Uh... 
it's like a saving private Ryan moment. It's what mm -hmm. I thought of. But um so then, you know, Mark gets back, you know, so Rhodes finds him. I actually liked that little bit where he's like, How was the fun V? Yeah. I've forgotten that they made that very throwaway line about it being the humdrum V and the fun V yeah. until, until he said that. And I like that because it shows that that was something that was on his, on Rhodey's mind that entire intervening time that Tony was missing, you know? Yeah. He felt guilty and he felt like he should have forced him to, to mm -hmm. say this, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so, but then they get home and Obadiah greets him at the press conference, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and of course I've seen the movie, so I know that Obadiah is actually the guy behind what happened to him. And I just got like, man, what a sociopath! That he's like, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. This is great, and he he seems so genuine. Yeah, what a sicko. <laughs> well, um, you know, greed and selling weapons to uh, you know terrorists and everything like that. It'll it'll change a guy. Yeah. Or or reveal who you really are. Power. Power doesn't necessarily corrupt, but it does reveal. Well, <clears throat> I was actually sort of, I was thinking about how, so I, I couldn't help it. I was sort of paying attention to Terrence Howard's performance mm -hmm. because of what I had read. And I'm like, I feel like he's really good in this. No, I thought I actually thought he was pretty good too. I don't, I, I, I was watching it also with an eye to like, what exactly was going so badly here that they had to change course? But um, maybe they cut out all the crazy shit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he, if Favreau said he had to do a bunch of reshoots with him, so yeah. maybe it's better because of that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I always, I have always felt like Terrence Howard. I would have been a really cool uh, War Machine Colonel Rhodes person. But, yeah. So when Obadiah meets Stark at the arc reactor, the big arc reactor, right? Mm -hmm. And he like menacingly drives up on a Segway. <laughs> I don't know that I ever noticed that before. I'm like, what? He's riding up on a Segway? <laughs> I definitely didn't notice until this, this viewing. And uh, I, if, if that doesn't, if that doesn't emphasize how evil someone is, I don't know what will. <laughs> Cause goodness gracious. I also noticed something. Cause I, I, I guess I didn't really know that his name was Ironmonger, you know, like that was his villain name in the comics. Yeah. And I read that before I watched it this time. And they just had a throwaway line where he goes, yeah, we're Ironmongers. Yeah, we're Ironmongers. And uh, I didn't realize either until I saw it referenced. And I just thought it was like a post hoc. They just, oh, yeah, that was his name and we never said it, which they basically didn't. Right. But at least there is a. Uh, there's a reason for it because it emphasizes the fact that he cares more about selling weapons than saving people. Right. Exactly. And becoming a weapon at the end of the day. And then, you know, so then we go back and, you know, Downey's Stark's going to start working on, uh, on his new Iron Man suit. And then he's, he's pulling up his plans in the computer. And I know we've all seen this, these movies like a hundred times and, and how, um, these computers work, but I still every time I see it, I'm like, that is so cool. I want a, com a computer that I can interact with a hologram like that. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things that I feel like really seals the deal in some ways with this movie. Um, 
there could have been like so many more things wrong with it. And as long as they nailed a few of these things they nailed, it would have had a good chance of succeeding and really setting the tone for the rest of the MCU. That's one of them. The one, how cool it is. Just the idea of interacting with his, with his custom, I guess, OSs and holographic technology. It like, it makes you want to interact with that stuff. You know, it makes, it makes him so much cooler because you want to be like, God damn, you know, not only is he, not only is he wearing awesome, awesome armor, he's got a cool, you know, everything about it is just so cool. Yeah. I was thinking about it. I'm like, okay, so we're, we're 15 years removed from this movie, which is mm-hmm. kind of a crazy thought because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago to me. It does, but... And still, though, when you watch this, you're like, man, this looks so futuristic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool that they were able to build something like that and have you still look at it and be like, man, that's really cool the way they did that. Yeah, and that it hasn't, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't aged poorly. Yeah, it doesn't look hokey. I also remembered watching this i was like oh yeah the banter with that machine yeah the the, the, the arm or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> they do a great job making it like a weird little character that's actually fun i know even the thing's body language i don't know did you notice the thing just however i don't know if it was you know controlled by a some sort of puppeteering kind of thing but whoever was doing it it it, it ends up having personality more personality in fact than some Worst movie, you know, actual humans in some bad movies. Yeah, like Bloodsport. Um, <laughs> yeah. Never let that go. Um, I, I think it was a great movie, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it. So I remembered really enjoying it, and I, you know, watching it this time, it doesn't disappoint. It still was enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. I also realized at that point that we're nearly an hour in to this movie and there's basically been like two action sequences and one kind of sort of fight scene so yeah. like i feel like this movie does a really good job of engaging the audience without having to throw a lot of stuff at it it uh, absolutely does and it doesn't feel like geez there's no action in this movie it feels like adequate action and yet and yet right. it's not i don't know what i mean but I, I agree with you, though, because I was thinking it during the movie, because I, I remember there being like lots of action. And when you're wa- when when we're watching these movies now, I'm definitely noticing. Like, I'm not just watching it for entertainment because I'm I'm, you know, I'm ranking it. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't seen any action here. Yeah. You know? So anyway. yeah, you're not you're not even left wondering, you know, like, where's the action? Yeah, exactly. Um, so just, you know, good filmmaking. And then I, you know, he, so he takes it out for a flight and he falls through the floor when he comes mm-hmm. back. And I don't know if you remember. The floor onto the coolest car they have there, but whatever. Yes, exactly. I was like, oh my God, destroying the Shelby. I'm sure it's yeah. just a replica, but like, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Do you have a memory of this when you were young? I feel like I remember um, that action movies had like this propensity for destroying the best looking car. I don't remember that, but I believe it for some reason. I feel like it was until like Gone in 60 Seconds and The Fast and the Furious. Mm -hmm. Up until those two movies came around, it was always like, oh, there's a really cool car. Smashed. Damn it, I always break the best car. 
You know, I was just thinking about going in 60 seconds earlier today. I was wondering if Nicolas Cage looks back and thinks, you know, just if history had gone a little bit differently, we, I could be getting ready to do Gone in 60 Seconds 10 and making so much money. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Very but, similar uh, franchise. But uh, they wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And just I don't know what kind of weird cinematic universe we could have ended up with, but we ended up with this one. Or how about, you know, Con Air 15 and The Rock? Oh, yeah. Let's um, not... Let's not think about Con Air 15. Why? Because I, I, I don't care for Con Air. How about, uh, hey, imagine, imagine Bloodsport 15. Just think about, we'd be all even more, because that was an older movie. Well, see, see, you know, that one actually wouldn't surprise me as much. Oh, yeah? Because it's not like it was a huge hit. It was like B-movie hit, you know? And mm-hmm. B-movie hits tend to get more B-movie <laughs> sequels, yeah. like Kickboxer. Kickboxer two, I, I think there's three best. and four. I think there's two best of the bests, and I never understood that because I feel like they settled the best <laughs> of the best in the first one. I mean, when the new challenger appears, player two has entered the game. What happened? But um, so <laughs> back to Iron Man. He's he's gotten stir crazy, right? Uh, so now he's going to go to his party mm-hmm. while he's waiting Which for the Iron Man suit to get painted. What were you gonna say? Which fair? I mean, it's uh yeah, it's his party. Yeah. And then we see Stan Lee, and I thought, oh, there's Stan Lee. Yeah, exactly. And I love the bit of him looking like Hef. Yeah, <laughs> he even calls him Hef, so I don't know if he's just playing Hugh Hefner in this movie or what. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, like one of the first things that happens, he gets in there, and this girl's like, "Hi, Tony, remember me?" Sure don't. Yeah. That was Which, another example of your uh, yeah. your questionable questionable joke material. Yeah, it's like younger. I I even wrote younger me enjoyed that joke, but it's funny yeah. how age has made <laughs> me think that he looks like an asshole when he does that. Yeah. Now. Um, oh, if you noticed the scene where the they're like the so after the party and everything, showing the news, right? They're talking about the massacre or whatever is happening in that one region that Tony escaped from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. The crime syndicate or whatever that they call themselves the Ten Rings. And I'm like, oh, they did it again! <laughs> <laughs> it's the Eleventh Ring. I, you know, were, do you think that they left it in for, for possible future reference? Or yeah. they just didn't change it? Because there's very little else that they didn't change, given all the changes they made. So they must have been at least sort of thinking about it for later. Well, I think that they were. So I think that they were thinking about it for later. I also think that they did try to make it look like the fake Mandarin guy Mm -hmm. had done all that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. So I think in Iron Man 3, is Iron Man 3 when they have the fake Mandarin? I think it is, right? It is, yeah, with Ben Kinsley. Yeah, and uh, I think that one, they're trying to like wrap it all up, the, the trilogy, saying like this was like the guy that was behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was so you know. Then he goes, he gets all charged up, and he flies out to that place to save the village. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, this movie is so effective at hero making. Mm-hmm. 
I was like full fledged rooting for Iron Man at that point after after he saved that village. Yeah. Especially when he like leaves the one guy on the ground and goes, He's all yours. Yeah, um because like like uh we mentioned it really effectively for me at least shows us you know, it does the work to get us there. So right. it feels very satisfying when it happens. And there's another moment that to me almost kind of like made the movie succeed no matter what else though, you know, the part where he shoots the rocket and then turns around and walks away. Oh yeah. By itself. I remember that being in the commercials and being like, this movie looks cool. You can be stupid as hell. And that moment at least is really cool. Yeah. That was such a cool one. I love that. And I love that. It's just like this tiny missile that doesn't make much noise. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That's uh, that's Tony thinking in the moment, I'm going to walk away and look cool. So now the military is going to find him, right? Mm-hmm. He's a bogey. Mm-hmm. This is like a silly military comment, so I don't know if we'll leave it in or not. But I just, I love that they show in movies that flares just always work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so most missiles don't even really use infrared uh-huh. without radar now. Most missiles are done with radar, so you need chaff to mm-hmm. distract them. And even then, an American missile usually are too sophisticated to fail to either of those countermeasures. So mm-hmm. I always find that to be annoying. Yeah, but these are real these are stark flares, you know what I mean? That's these true. Are really really good flares. <laughs> they're really tiny little tiny flares that are uh I think they're all individually heat seeking or, you know, seeking missiles. And each one goes after the bad guy's ammo. Oh, that's my headcanon. You know what it is? It's magic. But now, now we've gotten into like so. so now, Rhodes, Colonel Rhodes has figured out that this is, or has been told that it is Stark, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then he's like, "No, nah, we're gonna, we shouldn't shoot him." So, <laughs> I just want to point out that Rhodes is a lieutenant colonel, and the guy that's in the room is a major, mm-hmm. and the major says, basically, "No, fuck you, Colonel. You don't know what you're talking about." Mm-hmm. That is not how the military works. <laughs> <laughs> You don't That's say. not going to happen. So I always get I always get bothered by that when they have like some, you know, some lower ranked person be like, oh yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, that guy just got court martialed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sort of skipping a little bit ahead here, but I noticed I noticed this when Obadiah goes and you know does the crazy auditory weapon on uh, mm-hmm. that bad guy. He's got the Ten Rings flag in the tent. Oh yeah, so it's like another reference to the Ten Rings. It's like, oh, it's all over the place here. They were really going in all in on the Ten Rings. Um, I think you know, and also I think that scene did an effective job of showing Obadiah as kind of being a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, we're setting him up as a good villain as well as Tony being a good, yeah, hero. Um, so. I was curious what you thought about this. So now we're in the the basement and, you know, he wants to get the secret files because he saw his weapons there, right? He wants to get the, the secret files and then he know, knows they're hidden actually, you know, on the server at the company. And so he mm-hmm. sends Pepper to do it. And then, he, you know, before he gives his speech that convinces her, which was a good speech, he does this. There's nothing else. It's there's the next mission and nothing else. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that seemed a little overdramatic. Yeah, actually, 100%. That was one of the few moments that didn't quite feel. We keep saying about it feeling earned. It was the one thing that it felt a little like they jumped the gun a tiny bit. Yeah. On on him being quite so, quite so adamant about there being a next mission, even in the first place. Right. I, I w- so to me, I was thinking, I'm like, is it just the wrong line? Mm-hmm. You know, because like, would that would that feeling still work if he had used a different line? Like, yeah, there's nothing else. It's just I need to get these weapons out of enemy hands, or I need to. This needs to happen instead of there's the next mission and nothing else. Does that? Yeah, you know, that might actually be a hundred percent what it is because it just it does feel like it. The line itself does feel awkward, not the. Not necessarily the emotion. I, th- right. I think that that's like the first thing that we've really found in this, that they could have made a small change and it would have been just somehow a little bit stronger. I wonder, with, when, you, when you mentioned it about it being, you know, kind of ad-libbed and not being planned out quite as strongly, um, I wonder if every so often you do end up with lines or moments that you sort of are outdated given having changed something. Yeah, and just missing probably. it and leaving it in a little bit. And like that line doesn't make 100% sense, but it's not like they're going to go back and redo it. Or they just didn't catch it. That's a good point. That might have been a scripted line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I like uh, I wonder. We should, we should get John Favreau on here and ask him. Or Robert. Yeah, he's not doing, he's not doing uh, MCU anymore. Oh, you call him Bob? I call him Junior. You call him Junior. <laughs> um, so... But now, you know, Pepper, of course, agrees to do it, and she goes mm-hmm. and the thing, and then she's watching this video, and then she just, you know, types translate. And then we have the exact same voice of this guy, except speaking <laughs> English. What yeah. program is that? Because I want that. <laughs> it's it's type translate, apparently. <laughs> AOL keyword translate. I thought that was a little bit silly. Um but but it's sort of this scene gets redeemed as far as the tech is concerned because mm-hmm. I feel like this is a sort of a common scene in action movies or even just movies in general thrillers action movies whatever where suddenly the villain shows up and you have something that you don't want them to see right mm-hmm. and so typically what happens in those is that you see oh my god it's up or it's it's still downloading it's still downloading and the guy's getting closer and it's still downloading still downloading and um and you know completes and the person show the person gets there and suddenly the screen is like completely empty it doesn't have anything there right yeah so what i thought was really cool in this scene is that they didn't show it like they showed her change the screen yeah i thought that was such a good cool way to do it yeah so that it's not just you know it didn't happen off screen and right. it didn't, it, it wasn't just an overlooked thing. She actually thought, Oh fuck, I better hide this behind. You know, it's like, you know, the boss walked in and she has to hide the porn. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it also, it makes it so that he discovers it sort of naturally. Yeah. Right? Because she just turned a screensaver on. So as soon as he moves anything, mm-hmm. he's going to see what, that, that she downloaded something at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's a sharp bit of uh, sharp bit of story. Yeah, I I uh, I thought it was really good. Um, 
he was also Obadiah was being very menacing and creepy in that scene. Mm -hmm. A lot of tension. I was just like, oh my god, this guy's such a creep. That's why you uh, pay pay uh, Jeff Bridges the big bucks. Yeah, and uh, you know, so then you know Jeff Bridges ends up going and um, getting Tony using his his noise machine. Yeah, which trying to describe that thing sounds <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah. somehow is completely believable when you're watching it. I don't know how they're able to do that. Yeah, me neither. It, it, I don't even. I didn't even know what it was supposed to be, and yet, like, it's somehow evocative enough when you look at what its effects are that you're just going like, "Ooh, I don't know what that thing is, but it looks nasty." Right. So this is one part that I didn't really get with the movie. Why wouldn't he kill Tony? Mm -hmm. I get no, that's that he's a really. Ripped his heart out or whatever. Yeah, it's just such a typical evil villain movie yeah. thing. I'll just assume he's going to die. You know? Yeah, I, I really, I was like, why the? Plus, at this point, like, he knows he's caught. Yeah. You know, like he saw Pepper talk to the to the the government agent. Mm -hmm. So he knows, like, his the gig's up, and he still doesn't kill him. I just I don't know that I buy that no 100 percent um it's like such a james bond villain thing to do i'm gonna yeah. explain to you everything i'm doing and then not kill you just leave you to do nothing assume you'll die yeah i mean i i i'm a I feel like there could have been a better way to do that um mm -hmm. but, but um yeah, small moment yeah exactly but anyway I also really enjoyed that they had a redemption arc for the machine. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the machine break gives them a glass case. Yeah. yeah. So the machine is redeemed. Like <laughs> it's a nice little scene because you've come to like that that thing. Exactly. It's exactly. It's what you it's what you were talking about with the giving it sort of a personality, you know. Uh-huh. Um so yeah, I thought that was pretty and, good. And of course his his deadpan like thanks or whatever he says to it. I also thought it was sort of uh, silly that Obadiah had like the perfect tool to get mm -hmm. the thing out of out of uh, Tony's chest, yeah. and then once it's out of his chest, it was the perfect fit for his suit. Yeah. So I thought that was like. Well, I assume cool. that was like a, a bit of you know the engineering team who is not Tony Stark but is good enough I guess to estimate a diameter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, you can suspend your disbelief for that. It's, it's small enough that you can just be like, okay, sure. Um, um, or he went to the store and was like, you know, Tony Stark heart size removal device, you know? I don't know what, is that like a standard? Yeah, that's the standard. You get that at Target, so. actually. Yeah, I think so. Is it metric, though? Because I always get mixed up. No, it's Imperial System. Oh, they, thank God. They, yeah, well, because it's, uh, you know, it's the the arc the mini arc reactor is only available in america so yeah absolutely well it was built in afghanistan but that's true good point i wonder if it's invented says in afghanistan <laughs> well some you know well, actually the one that he has in his chest is made in america because he uh, you're right that's the new one yeah he eventually has to go with the crappy old one <laughs> it's like a plot point even um so i have to say oh go ahead no that's another oh gwyneth was really great in this movie until now. <laughs> I, 
I don't know how you felt, but like, why did Pepper suddenly become like the biggest ditz? <laughs> oh my key card doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that was... really little... oh my stars, is it gonna <laughs> pick the lock? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening here? You know, I hadn't thought of it at the time. I think I had thought of like, oh, another very typical movie thing where you have to try the key card multiple times without just going, I guess this isn't gonna work now, especially since I have a reason to suspect that my access has been revoked. Yeah. But um but uh, I hadn't I, I hadn't bothered me very much until you just said it. So at the very least, it has to have been done well enough that it didn't attract too much attention until you brought my attention to it. Well, I feel like even after that, her her acting is very like forced. I, I didn't really understand. It was like she went from being kind of a self possessed, you know, a little bit a little nervous, right? Um, but like for the most part a pretty self-possessed person and then all of a sudden she's just like oh my god what's happening mm-hmm. this is crazy i just i don't know what tony really <laughs> um Who did you yeah you know to? it's it's like uh sometimes i guess you just can't avoid this sort of moment in a movie where the bad guy does the evil villain stupid thing and the uh female character has to immediately be like you know damsel in distress yeah. I guess even this did, this did a pretty darn good job of avoiding that sort of stuff until now, but yeah, it can and only I mean, do much she, so much. She wasn't really a damsel in distress, but it was no, still yeah. just very like, I don't know. I, I just thought I'd, it was. I'd like to know weird. what the script called for. And I'd like to know what the directing called for. I'd like to know what Favreau actually wanted from her in that scene. Yeah. Or if it was just like, go with your instincts and her instincts were, every movie I've seen, the woman starts to act kind of panicked and ditzy right now. So that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, I, it'll be I would just love to know. Uh, Oops, sorry. I was going to say, um, this is the sort of thing I don't know if you can ever find an answer for, but what, uh, if, if I, if I had Favreau here, I might ask him what was going on with that sequence. I would, I would be interested. I'd be interested to see if we notice similar things as we watch Pepper in further movies you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because in my mind she played it better than than yeah. that even in this movie and so i'm, I'm like wow she, i think probably is better better in these in these situations in further movies well maybe she's not maybe that's like her character's pepper's reaction to this situation is just that anyway well it would be interesting if it was the case because it it would make this part better actually it would, and it would also be potentially in, inconsistent because I do know that she is responsible for the deaths of all the three major Iron Man villains, um, and that Tony doesn't kill any of them, and she ends up basically killing all of them. I don't remember how What's-His-Face dies in Iron Man 2. Mickey Rourke, yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, wait, how does he go on that one? She definitely, like is a big part of uh, Guy Pierce dying in Iron Man 3, though. Well, and she's obviously, I don't remember exactly how that worked, but that was one... That was the first time I think we see her in a suit. She ends up in one of the suits and right. is fighting. Um, and then she becomes so the just, Iron Patriot. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever she is. The Iron the Iron Broad. <laughs> iron Broad. Broadly no, that's, Iron. That's, that's, Margaret, that's Margaret Thatcher. Sorry. I get confused. <laughs> 
now they're having the final showdown and everything, and we'll we'll talk about the final showdown. But I I wanted to say one thing. I really liked that they had the person in the car run him over after he saves her. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know I I wasn't sure who you meant there for a second. I actually was really annoyed at that lady throughout that scene because similar to Pepper, she was reacting like the dumbest possible person. And I get she was very scared, but like I don't feel like you just floor it for no reason, you know. Well, I don't know, because I was thinking that, so I remember being like, what is wrong with this person when I watched the movie originally? Watching it now, I'm like, you know, she's got her kids in the car. She's probably terrified. She wants to get the F out of there. I think it's sort of a realistic reaction where she's not, like, listening to him being like, hey, I just saved you. She's like, no, I I don't care that you saved me. I don't want to be in this vicinity at all. Yeah, and not to mention that it's it, it's probably harder to keep track of who's saving you and who isn't right, than yeah. we think of. I mean, in these situations, some really crazy stuff is happening, so maybe you're not really quite focusing so much on yeah. Two giant iron-like beings have just come yeah. out of nowhere, and one picked your car up and was going <laughs> to throw it at you, and the other one caught you. So. Yeah. So you don't really know exactly which which big iron dude is on your side or or, yeah. or not, but um, that's a good point. But still, um, I do think it's interesting, and I, and I know this is true of the Iron Man, specifically the Iron Man movies, um, but that they kill Obadiah, mm-hmm. um, because I know that Marvel has actually been really good about keeping the villains alive to continue their characters. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting. It's a lot wonder, more like the Batman series in that way. Yeah, I wonder if uh, because you said their original plan was to bring him back into, and then obviously, I wonder at what point they knew that they weren't going to bring him back, and I wonder at what point they decided what they were going to do if. I don't know. There's another question that I don't have the answer to, and maybe should maybe should have done some potent notableing of my own in order to find out. But, well, but, but you, can, would you have thought can, of those questions before having probably a not? So yeah, it's yeah. I, I I assumed that they always were gonna be done with him. Now you know. Now we've gone to the press conference, right? Mm-hmm. And Colson's telling him what he should do. Gives him the cue cards or the cue cards, the index cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was actually a potent notable, but I thought it would be fun to just throw it in right now. So you see, he's reading a paper and there's a picture and it says the Iron Man or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that picture is actually a still from a video that a fan took who snuck like snuck into like the hedges when they first started filming. <laughs> and I did not know that at all. And that's really Weird. Um, wonder if that random van ended up with like a credit in the movie for for maybe, <laughs> maybe. But I thought it was a cool little you know wink and nod to the to the fans. Well done, fan. <laughs> You're an integral part of Iron Man One. I also really enjoy that um, he brings up that night, you know, mm-hmm. and then she's just like shits all over him. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's actually nice because it shows Pepper is not. I like how she isn't just. Oh, I'm yeah. glad you finally noticed me, Mister Stark. <laughs> yeah, like, I you know I'm I like still call you out on your bullshit. Yeah, I I it sort of redeemed her for me after the craziness that was 
the last few scenes. <laughs> and you know, it's funny that you mentioned it because uh, I've always thought Gwyneth Paltrow is pretty good in everything she does. Uh, she she might not be quite Terrence Howard level of crazy, but she's definitely pretty crazy. Or maybe she's worse. I don't know. But either way, she's effective in the movie. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and another thing I noticed, there's not too much exposition at the end. No, yeah. And they, they ended in a really cool way with that line, you know, I am Iron Man. Um, yeah, it, it's a great it's a great uh, balance between some of we've been having some difficulties finding a good sweet spot where one of these movies ends where it doesn't go too long, but it also isn't just like awkwardly abrupt. Yeah, this, I one mean, gives, I this one gives you a moment to get to get your bearings and then ends on a cool note. Yeah. And like you said, leaves you wanting more. Yeah, I feel like this did end on the sweet spot. It did. Yeah. We'll get there, um, I guess, with final showdown, but or something. I don't and then if, I don't know if you ended up watching the post credits scene. Uh, are you? You said you did. Um, yeah, I fast forwarded to it because I yeah. hate sitting through the credits. There's one thing I, that annoys me about Marvel is the fact that we now have to sit through credits for everything. I know. <laughs> um, and these credits are so long. I know a lot of people work so on many people effects, that work on it. It's crazy. Like I got things to do. I don't know what they are, but I got things. Well. So that's the end of the movie. Great line, great way to end it. Uh, that brings us to the rank. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all here for, right? We're all here for the rank. Well, what we do here is we rank uh, 10 categories, one to five, one being the worst, five being the best. The 10 categories are story, acting, originality, action sequences, chase and fight, chase slash fight scenes. Uh, film coherence, hero appeal, vil- villain appeal slash hatred, supporting characters appeal, and final showdown. And listener, if you would like a more detailed uh, explanation of what these categories mean, you can check it out on our Patreon or our website, or you can listen to our introduction ep- episode because um, we we have it in there. Start with story, and uh, you can go first. For story. I mean, it's it's hard to really come up with too much that's really. All right, I'm going to go with my first instinct, which is to do a four and a half. And I was tempted to go higher because it's hard to come up with anything that doesn't work. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's a pretty. It's about as good as you can do an origin story for a superhero, and it's important for him to do an origin because Iron Man was not anywhere near the household name right. when this came out. That like we don't need we don't need Batman's origin anymore. You know, we're set. Yeah. We don't need one of my favorite Superman comics, the origin story is uh like three panels. Dying planet, desperate parents, you know, oh, landed okay. on Earth. <laughs> and um that's really all we need for some of these guys. But for Iron Man the the, the journey to him being a hero actually is very important. Right, um, which is, I mean, that harkens to later in the MCU when you have Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and they mm-hmm. don't do an origin story there, which I felt yep. like was also the right move. Absolutely. Um, so I actually completely agreed with you. I did four and a half. I really oh, enjoyed the story. That. I thought it was really good. I mean, part of me didn't want to do a full five just because it's a fairly typical superhero origin story. You know? Yeah, that's that's just what I was thinking. Like, you can't do anything more with it, but at the same time. Yeah, it's 
you know, it's just so typical that it's it's hard to give it a perfect score, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. It, it, sometimes it feels like, well, are we docking it just because it happens to be a superhero movie? I don't know. But listeners, you can you can debate this with us if you'd like. Um, but this is where we're going. Um, we'll give you John's home phone number at the end. You can call him and yell at him. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I never pick up my phone for pretty much anybody. So <laughs> yeah, I don't have I don't know the last time I even had a home phone. So that was kind of a that was kind of a funny throwback to a different world. Um, well, I don't have a home phone. I didn't even notice you said home phone. <laughs> yeah, I don't pick up my my phone phone either. For uh, it could be it could literally read the president, and I'd be like, mm. he can text me. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I love no, that they made it contemporary, accessible, and somehow believable. Yeah. So the next category is acting, and I'll go first for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave it a four and a half. Mm-hmm. I thought the acting was excellent in this, and the only thing that I think takes away from it is Gwyneth's acting for a few scenes near the end. <laughs> okay. You know? I mean, really, so, that's really the only thing I didn't like about the acting. Mm-hmm. And what did you give it? I think this might be my first time giving this score. I can't remember. We'd have to go back through the archives. But I gave it a five. Um, well, I can you tell can't... you because I'm looking at the archives that you gave fives to hero appeal, villain appeal, and supporting characters appeal, and final showdown for aliens. So this is the <laughs> this is the fifth or so time that I gave. Five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. Oh, and you gave a five to final showdown for hero. So that was that was not correct. <laughs> <laughs> but the. So as I frequently do, I gave this a five. It's because um, you, I, uh, the acting was pitch perfect. It was exactly what they needed as well. It was like one of those things where if the, maybe the MCU doesn't even get off to the to a start if they don't hit a home run on this one, and they they hit a home run. That's a so. good point. I'm actually like after going through the movie overview, I'm like, boy, I don't know that four and a half. I feel like four and a half is kind of almost too low because like. The only I just didn't like Gwyneth in a couple scenes. That doesn't seem fair. And you know what? I think I'm going to bump it to 4.75. Just I don't think fair. I should give it a perfect, but I'm going to bump it up. Well, I can't think of anybody I would. I mean, everybody from the main character uh, to uh, you know we have the every the I guess the one act acting I didn't care for the oh the 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 the, the ten rings guy. The, the 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 not main villain that guy I, I found the, him to be the open secondary stuff. villain yeah and also boring but that's not so much I think he was still doing what he was supposed to do and I mean all the way down to um the robotic arm I thought did a great job <laughs> that's actually it's a good point um all right so now the next one is originality and you you can mm-hmm. go first so originally I I've been thinking I should give story higher because part of the only thing I didn't I didn't like, I guess, is um, just that this kind of story is never going to be quite as original. It's just the the fact of the matter, and like you said, it's just sort of how that's how superhero movies are going to be. So maybe I should have given story higher, and then have it a little bit lower here for originality. But I'm gonna go with four um, for originality because. You know, I'm so tempted to go higher, but I'm going to stick with four because I said it, and I'm a 
I'm intransigent. I, uh, I think they, they made it as original as they can, but at the same time, it's an origin story, and or, an origin is an original. But. Yeah, you know, that's... So, I gave it a three, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so I'll stop, I'll stop justifying my low score since you gave it lower. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of surprised. I thought you would be lower than I would on this, but... It's just because it's it's such like a it's it's a superhero origin story. I mean, there really is. I mean, it kind of goes right along with every beat mm-hmm. of it. They do it yeah. incredibly well. Yeah, you know, and they 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 have unique moments. You know, like giving up the secret identity, and um, you know that you really feel for his plight, and and you grow with him as he becomes a hero. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what an origin so- story is supposed to do. So I feel like the acting is actually what makes it feel so original, as opposed yeah. to the story. Um, it's going to be tough to really get something with like a perfect originality score in action movies because they're going to by by nature follow a formula. But it is what it is. I know this is that's sort of what I was what I've been having trouble with with originality. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll have to revisit this at some point. Um, but let's go to action sequences. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go first on that one. I gave it a 4.75. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the action sequences were incredibly well done. Uh, they made you lean in, you know, they, mm-hmm. like, um, I just, I was watching it for like the 5 millionth time and I still was like, Oh, I'd like leaned forward as they were doing stuff. Yeah. Um, they weren't brutal, um, but they gave you cl- a clear sense of what was going on, and it didn't feel like we were just watching a bunch of CGI. You know, mm-hmm. um, they actually built the Iron Man suit, so that it was just very kinetic. There was a very kinetic feel to the action. It just really brought you into it. Absolutely. So what um, I want to I want to highlight your way how you said kinetic there because um, I felt exactly the same way. I went with four point eight five. I'll, I'll I'll explain it when I get to Chase's fights, um, but very close to about as well as you can possibly do it. And I I loved the like you said kinetic feel. Um, there was a lot of really good computer effects, but there was also they also made it feel tangible, which was great. And um, yeah, everything from from the from the visuals to the sound to everything else, just fantastic. Well, so then that leads us directly into the chase and fight scene. So what say you on that? Well, I gave that a 4.75 because they were extremely good, but not as much the focus, which is why I went to decide just slightly higher for action because the action sequences were a little bit better. And I I didn't love him flying around being chased by jets quite as much as I thought I, I would. I don't know why. It just didn't quite work for me as much as the more ground-based stuff and i know like a huge part of the point is that he can fly and it's awesome but you know what i forgot about the jet scene mm. so i'm actually going to bump mine up a little bit oh and not because i thought the the jet scene was spectacular but just because i didn't i forgot that there was even a chase scene <laughs> yeah um so i i will say what i originally gave it i originally gave it a 3.5 mhm um, so I'm bumping it up to a four. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so there really aren't any fight scenes. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, right? So unless you count when he's getting out of the cave or when he goes back in and saves the village. But I would consider that more of an action sequence, which is why I gave action sequence a high score and this one not as much. Um, well, l- let me just interject quick. What about him <laughs> fighting Ironmonger at the end? So that, so I do bring that up, but I, but we have a category for that, which is yeah. the final show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So I, I felt like I couldn't give them points for that part if we're also going to have that as the final showdown, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's an interesting point, right? Because it is a, it, or it is a fight scene. Yeah. So maybe the final showdown, and then the final showdown is really meant to encompass like the whole aspect of it, right? But you, but you are right that that would be double counting a little bit. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. Um, so, actually, the the next thing I wrote was the only real fight scene is the final showdown. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, I'm tempted I, to bump mine down a little bit for that, but I'm not going to. I'll leave it. Well, we could, you kind of talked me into bumping it down a tiny bit, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, I also felt like with the fight scenes, they're all one sided, except for the yeah. final showdown. You know, except so, for the final showdown where we'll get there. But yeah. yeah. But it's it's basically just like he's in a giant iron suit. Nobody's gonna fucking beat him. So yeah, you're right. We're at a part in his his hero trajectory where nobody's gonna touch him. You know, well, nobody, except for like for him. except for like Captain Marvel, who exists as as Nick Fury alludes to, but we're not obviously gonna see her. <laughs> we'll have um, to wait till Iron Man two for a worthy villain. Right, and you know, and, and they're meant. It's meant to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. And they're meant. He, he. It's meant to show how like invulnerable and, in, and indestructible he is in this iron man suit um mm-hmm. you know before the final showdown so it works it's not like it doesn't work i just don't know that it's really the best yeah. fight scenes um but that brings us to film coherence is that so, me no that it's you? me okay go ahead um i i'm actually at this point still debating it i was going like back and forth on this uh I, you know, I was, I thought, obviously I thought it was excellently done. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I could say was that maybe they could have edited down some of the cave time and maybe some of the creating of the eventual Iron Man suit time without losing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it just seemed like some of that was a little bit unnecessary and they could have built tension without it. Um, I think that's probably pretty nitpicky. Um and then the whole Obadiah not killing Tony thing. Yeah. So I was basically like, I, I did, I gave it a 4.75, but I, I had it at like a 4.8, 4.9 for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, uh, I think the Obadiah not killing Tony part of it. I just, I always hate that they do that. It's such like yeah. a stupid thing to add anyway. But what, what, what about you? I, we're at film coherence here. It's funny that you, uh, you tend to take a very perfection is achieved, not when there's nothing left to add, but nothing left to take away kind of, kind of, uh, perspective for these ones for film coherence specifically, which is yeah. a very like engineers kind of like, we need to streamline this more. Um, just interesting as well. Um, no, it's a good, it's a good observation actually. Cause I, I do do that. Um, 
but for film coherence, I went with a five because I just everything worked. There's really nothing else to say. It's almost boring because, <laughs> because there was really nothing for me to change. Well, that's what we aim for in this podcast is boring. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Here, let me make something up that I... Uh, no, you don't have to. I'm just... We just I didn't it. get how he didn't have more cheeseburgers. Oh, you know what? That is something I didn't like. Is I, the, um, There was a bit of a... What do you call it when you put products in? Product placement. Oh. <laughs> but that's not a film coherence issue. Well, so... It's interesting because so but Burger King obviously sponsored this, right? And they they do mm-hmm. toys and stuff. But part of it was because Robert Downey Jr. had credited Burger King with uh getting sober. Okay. Okay, that's that's allowed then. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna allow that product product placement. Um well was, yeah, so he just said that like he had the worst burger ever and it was after like a big bender it was mm-hmm. from Burger King. And he was, that was like a realization for him. Like, what am I doing with my life? I'm eating this disgusting, like five day old burger. Um, anyway. Well, fair. So, all right. Now we'll go to hero appeal. This is, this is for you. Well, I'm going to be boring again and just say five because fuck. I mean, can you do any better? Yeah, I actually, so (laughs) I gave him a four and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's good that he has flaws, right? And he has to overcome those flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing for me is that he can be a little bit unlikable at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, other than that, he's a remarkably well-done superhero. And the moment he saves that village is what, like, nearly pops him to a perfect score. Yeah. I, I'm actually, you know what? i got to change it again. I, I just... I I feel like I'm being I was being too harsh in the I'm gonna go up to four point seven five. I don't wanna go I, I feel like I can't just go to perfect when I haven't given him perfect yeah. already. Um but yeah. You're you're right. I mean asking him to do more is kind of crazy. The only thing I the only thing I could say is that there were times when I just I thought he was kind of an asshole and so it kind of I felt like that takes away a little bit of his hero appeal. But anyway, um, I think there's an argument to be made that that actually brings up his hero appeal because then you're, um, you know, rooting for his, you're rooting for him more because you've seen this change. Anyway, I've gone too far on that. Uh, (laughs) So we'll go to hero. uh, No, we just did that one. Uh, so we'll go to villain appeal slash hatred, and for that I gave a four point seven five as well. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bridges was excellent and menacing and sociopathic. Uh, you wanted him to lose, and he really turns into a power power hungry monster once he reaches the point that he has like nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess to me the you know. It wasn't like a full-fledged, like, I hate this guy to me, which I feel like is a perfect score. Okay. So, go ahead. You you go. I um went a little bit lower, which is 3.25. And Holy I don't, shit, that was way lower. Yeah, I, I don't want it to come across as though I didn't like him a lot. I just found him... I mean, everything you said is basically pretty true. Um, 
he's just forgettable. Like for the fact that he's basically the villain that kicks off the entire MCU, um, it's just easy to forget he exists after the fact. Maybe that's maybe that's not fair because it's looking back in retrospect and thinking, well, he's not Thanos. You know, that's not very really fair. <laughs> but yeah. but so be it, I guess. You know, he is he is tall, he is bald, and he kind of has a big chin. So maybe he is kind of Thanos light. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, you know, I can see how what you're saying about him being sort of forgettable. But uh, yeah, I I I thought he was. I mean, I just I like Jeff Bridges, but yeah. Um, but ain't not that you're saying you don't, by the way. That's not what I meant by that. I just meant no, you know, no man, the ironmonger <laughs> abides, you know. <laughs> um, all right. So supporting characters appeal. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go a bit lower than on that one too. More like three and a half is what I'll say. Not that they're bad. It's just again, it's not their movie. It's very much Tony's movie, <laughs> as, as it should be. If they had cut parts of him in order to have more like. Agent Coulson, I would have been very annoyed. And I know you said that they liked their uh, the uh, charisma or the uh, chemistry with Agent Coulson, but no thanks. And uh, I think my favorite supporting character was that robotic arm. And he didn't get enough, he, didn't <laughs> he get was enough. a great supporting character, really. Loved that thing. Oh, uh, I, you know, Colonel Rose, he was good. Yeah. Everybody was good. So. Yeah, I gave it a four um, mm-hmm. because you know I thought. I thought Pepper was great right up until the couple end scenes, which we've discussed. But you know, overall, I thought she was she was great. Um, I thought the uh, the secondary villain was mm-hmm. just okay. You know, yeah. like we were talking, like you you had mentioned earlier. Um, and then I thought uh, I thought Colonel Rhodes, I thought Terrence Howard was you know, I I, yeah. I, I enjoyed him every time he was on screen. Like I. Yeah. You know, I so too. to me, there was a lot of appeal there. Um, then Yinsen but, was was really good. The which one? Yinsen. Yinsen, yeah, I forgot about him even actually. Um, which I think sort of sort of goes to show how much of this is just it's Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, like you were saying. So in the end, I think a lot of the supporting characters are sort of forgettable. Not that they did a bad job or that they were unappealing, just it's just it's such a star performance, yeah, in this um, that that's what you leave thinking about. So let's go on to the final showdown. Mm. So the final showdown for me, I gave it a four point seven five. Okay, I thought the showdown was excellent. I thought that the way that they had the iron suits interacting with the environment was really cool. Um, they they showed how Obadiah had like lost it when he had nothing to lose and was willing to commit collateral damage, as he put it. <clears throat> that was not the worst Jeff Bridges anyone's ever done. You know that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what it was. It's no Gene Hackman, but it'll do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not God. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a cool way to finish off um, Ironmonger, mm-hmm. but I didn't really understand how Iron Man survives it but Ironmonger doesn't. Yeah, that's a good point. I had forgotten that he came so close to... I, I remembered him getting clear or something, so I'm yeah. not really sure. That was maybe Because he doesn't get clear, you know? Yeah. Uh, the blast went... blows him back, right? Yeah, that I must guess. be it, really. Um, but, like, also his suit of... is falling apart, so... Yeah, I just, it just found it sort of odd. Because um, you could make an argument like, oh, well, it's not working anymore, right? So there's not electricity, but, like, the whole thing is, like, he's got 
an arc reactor in his chest. So I would think mm-hmm. it would hurt him quite a bit. Uh, yeah. So just that that alone, I, I couldn't give it a five, even though it's so nearly perfect. It just couldn't give it a five when you're thinking like, I don't understand how he survived. Yeah. So anyway, what's your uh, what's your my extremely similar four point two four point two five for me though, so a little bit lower. Um, I'm not really even sure why now, but aside from sort of my slight antipathy toward Ironmonger, and that's not even to say that I don't like him. It's just again, I, I it feels a little bit bore a little bit not boring, but forgettable. And um, yeah, I had I, the same thing where I wasn't exactly sure how what happened at the end there. It just a slight knock on film coherence, I suppose. Although I gave that a much better score. Um, <laughs> so who knows the the point of the story is that i'm inconsistent and stupid but uh that's yeah, no, what you're coming to this podcast for ladies and gentlemen my my incoherence and stupidity but <laughs> but uh i uh no it's uh excellent and it's an excellent fight scene um i love uh, i love um going back to the to the his going very high up thing and having problems with the ice i love how they bring that back oh that's Um, a good point yeah that was a good part of it and uh there's there's like a there's the other chase i was thinking of in the movie the fact that he's chasing him um and it's like kind of menacing that he's behind him like i'm coming after you tony and like that was fun um was a good jeff bridges too (laughs) well you know we we've been working on it i think yeah i've been i've been working on it i've been working on my bow bridges actually it's not as good He's much harder to do. He's much harder to do. I don't know why Lloyd Bridges is also kind of more difficult, but he's got a bit more Jeff Bridges gruffness to him. Yeah. Or did he's long deceased? But uh, fuck, what's saying before I run up Lloyd Bridges? Um, (laughs) no, four point two five, extremely good. Um, tiny bit forgettable. There we go. (laughs) That's all I need to say. Well, that concludes. The ranking of Iron Man. <laughs> that is not to say the movie is extremely good, but kind of forgettable. It's actually very, very memorable. Yes, very memorable. I agree. So after doing all that, Zach, I'm mm-hmm. curious, where do you think this has ended up? It's got to be up a lot closer to Aliens than anything else. Even Hero, or not Hero, but even um, closer than what was there? Uh, Predator, Predator was, probably. Yeah. I don't know if it moved into first because... I don't remember, but we gave aliens. It did move into first. It did. What did it get? We now have a new leader. How about it? Got that? an eighty-eight point three five. Ooh, close. Yep, and aliens has eighty-seven point five, which means it it beat it by point eight five. Oh my goodness! Well, that actually kind of makes sense because it's, it's it's really nothing to complain about with this movie. Yeah, I Not mean, that I, there was anything to complain about with aliens, but. I was actually watching it thinking like, man, this is so good. I, yeah. you know, I just, so I, I think it makes sense that it is now the best action movie of all time. Um, we'll see if it remains there. I'm curious if any movie will ever get a 90 or higher. It looks like probably not in my view, because we've had a couple come close, but not that close. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I and feel like, like there's I can't... A... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I can't, it's hard to come up with something that's going to do that that much better than 
than this one. You know? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious if we're going to find we'll, something that... Uh, we'll that see. We, yeah. I, I, I have this one movie in mind that I just think, like, you know, if any is, if any is going to do it, it's this one. Schindler's List? Yep, that's the one. The um, yeah, legendary action movie. I mean, hey. he did end up becoming an action star afterwards, Oscar <laughs> Schindler. Um, <coughs> Actual Oscar Schindler, yes, of course. <laughs> well, there are there there's a lot of shooting people in that movie, so that's good. Yeah, it'll be like the fight mm. scenes were fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know if I'd feel that way. Well, once again, thanks for listening. Um, if you'd like to see an updated list of our rankings, you can see that on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com or on our Patreon page, which is Patreon slash The Rank Podcast. Um, check us out next week when we're ranking the 1994 Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock movie, Speed. So goodbye. And... Dakota Paaman. Not that that was mathematically impossible. I just wanted to make to check to see if you had inverted the uh, Mobius strip in order to in order to get that. I'm not a yardy sabotage. <laughs>